0: All right, good at, good morning, good morning, good morning. Um, for all those out here listening to this, is the Lighthouse Educator Development Project. We, I am Wilkie Law here with Kyle Krieger, and we're just two teachers here trying to make a difference in the world of education and bringing you some information and some news and hopefully some insight on the teaching craft.
1: What's going on over there in your world, Kyle? Um you know not much enjoying uh this time my uh my parents are coming back through the Houston area uh this morning from South Padre on the way back to Wisconsin so I'll get to spend some time with them but uh otherwise just enjoying life got a nice cup of coffee talking to you uh it's been nice that you've been on spring break the last couple of days because we've got to to see each other two straight days and I'm I'm always
0: Three days, three days. You got discounts. Oh, yeah, discounts.
1: This counts. So three straight days, and it, it just blows my mind what we get done when we when we get face to face and we really uh, get locked down on the things we need to get done for uh, our nonprofit. So it's been really nice to have that.
0: Yeah, awesome. It's been. It's. I'll tell you, it's it's something about being off and refreshing your mind when you don't have to think about what's next or the next day, and you can just kind of just wake up and go um not to say that i don't miss i mean i do miss being at work um to a certain degree i love being around the kids and being able to impart knowledge into the kids but at the same time if if you know if you're an empty vessel and you're always pouring out and no you never get any pour in time
1: yeah
0: right you, you don't um you, you, you're you going to stay empty. So I feel pretty good. You know, like I guess I just finished up my book. Um, and I know this is not part of the book review, but we will probably one day. Um, the um, I feel like going on Ray Lewis story. Um, amazing book, just gleaning gleaning so much insight from his story and even seeing the parallel between sports and education. Uh, I think a lot of times we don't look at it in that terms, but building a quality, a top-quality sports franchise. It's really just like building a top-quality uh, educational system. But we'll save that for another day. Um, but we'll go ahead and get into it. I know you, you've you been wanting to do this. We connect. And I like the fact that it's not, we don't have a, uh, you haven't told me what the right. card is. So right. it's just like getting a real experience of not knowing what they are. Um. Do you, do
1: you want to intro a little bit about, how we uh, came to know the people from We
0: Connect? Uh, Chad Littlefield, man, God. I just, have, I can't say too much about him. He's a phenomenal spirit. Um, being able to be in the same room with him um, in New Mexico was just phenomenal. And watching him take, what, almost 400? Yeah. 400 uh, educators, um most of them from higher education where you don't get the collaboration as much as you do in the you know pre-K-12 system and have them going around and talking and engaging each other in meaningful conversation. Uh, you know, I think about the fact that a couple of the guys that we met, we met through that little interaction and that we're still in touch with right now. Um, big shout out to Dr. Watawa out of New York. Uh, um can't think of everybody's name. You know him better than I do. Um, uh, who else was with us in that group? Um,
1: oh, Chaplain Greg.
0: Chaplain Greg. Oh, man, got to love Greg. Um,
1: yeah, yeah, the um, rest of the crew. Uh, Jonathan from out there in, in uh, – iHeart our iHeart Mentoring in Akron. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, great, great group of people. But I was just, like you said, like you were saying, you know – we connect has sets of what we're using is called their connect cards which is just a set of 60 cards that are color coded that give you um, you know lighter questions and then self there's a set of self self reflection questions and then there's the thing a bit deeper questions in their color coded and it was really it, it was like it's, like you said for four hundred people to be in a room that many of whom had never met each other. It was such a natural conversation, and I really the, my favorite thing about his presentation though was he he really drove home the point of listening to listen, not listening to respond. Like he 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 made it explicit that you could not say anything back to the other person. Until they had finished talking, and that
0: was- and, can I, and can I just add to that because that it, it it so perfectly flowed in with our our trip to New Mexico because that was a topic of discussion even between ourselves um about when to respond and how if we're conscious of the fact that when we speak and when we talk with each other, a lot of times I don't think it's conscious for us to realize that we're really cutting people off a lot you know, we're really assuming we know what the next question is going to be and immediately responding to it without, I mean, it's almost effortlessly. It's not, I don't think it's malicious. Uh, I think it's just become a part of our society where it's like, okay, you've given me the first bit. I know the rest. I got it, you know, um, and not really knowing kind of going off half cocked. And so, um, yeah, like I see that that portion was amazing, and and I can see he for him to facilitate that with with everyone, and then going back and watching his TED talk about when he did that same thing at the University of um, at Penn State.
1: At Penn,
0: at Penn State, the there were more people there at the TED talk, and yet and still he did the exact same thing. It was less about him engaging an audience and it was more about the audience engaging themselves in meaningful conversation which is something that in this day and age is is probably one of the 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 biggest broken window in in every business is that lack of authentic conversation one to
1: another all right so here it is i'll let you i'll let you answer first because I know that my answer is going to take a long time. Okay. Uh, what is something you do differently than most people? This is a purple. This is a purple. So this is a... Uh, <laughs> let, me get, let me get the color code again. Purple is... Self-reflection. So self-reflection. Self-reflection question. What do you... What is something you do differently than most people? Oh, man. Um...
0: Most people, see that 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 phrase gets me because I would probably have to say it. It would be see both sides of the coin in every situation. Um, I don't consider myself to be a peacemaker. Um, growing up, I probably would be more. Categorized as a -a -a robberizer, as they call them. Um, But I think my ability to put myself completely into someone else's positioning and say, okay, to see both sides of the coin and make a decision, even without it being what I feel is the best thing to do. But if it feels like that's the best thing to do for everyone else, then... Is that, is that making any sense? Like I think yeah. my ability to see heads and tails and get the point of view of heads and tails makes the biggest difference.
1: Yeah, and I and the thing I I love that and it's it's something that I've had to adjust to is understanding that you're just trying to get to both both sides of an argument um, rather than saying not not necessarily that you don't agree with me, but just in trying to understand all sides of a particular topic of discussion. I think that's a really good skill to have. So I think for me, something I do differently than most people, um, I I would categorize it as optimistic to a fault. (laughs) Um, I have a very difficult time uh, seeing the negative sides or parameters or just the basic things that could go wrong in, in situations. Um, I, I When we did our DISC profile a couple years ago at school, the, the line that really stood out to me was that I, I often overestimate my abilities or underestimate challenges. Um, so, so that's really the, the thing for me is I, I, I am... I'm op- Relentlessly optimistic, so um and even in the difficult times when people are giving me valid you know reasons why I should be less than optimistic, I have a hard time not being optimistic, so um I have a time or two overestimated my abilities and uh gotten myself not into trouble, but uh had to come back down to reality a little bit a little bit more than I would have liked to. I'm I'm better about living in reality but still uh maintaining that optimistic
0: that, that head in the cloud
1: mindset. Yeah. 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 And
0: I think we have to have those people in the world. I mean we have to have people like you. Um you know if we go back and look at the election in, in two thousand four. Uh two thousand eight. Yeah.
1: Two thousand
0: four. The first uh, Obama, President Obama's first.
1: No, no his, his first one was 08.
0: Oh, wait. Yeah. When we go back and look at, well, when he started campaigning at the Democratic National Convention, go back there, his message from that moment up until he left office was, was hope. And I really believe that he won on the ability to, to articulate that hope. Because I don't care who you are, I don't care what your social economic background is is from. I don't care what your gender, your race, your 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 sexual preference. It doesn't matter. Everyone on this planet lives for hope. Like we look to to find the the Kyle Kriegers who are going to to relentlessly be optimists uh, for us who. Who could possibly at times look at life and be like, uh, yeah, we might as well go ahead and stop the earth and let me jump off real quick. You know, um, so I mean, like I say, it, it's 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 refreshing. Let's say that it's refreshing in a world of, um, of of people who doubt. And I put you in the same category with one of my good friends, uh, Greg, who just so happens to be a personal trainer. Also, Um um, funny how that keeps coming around, but um, he—he's one of those guys who, as I remember, maybe about 15 years ago, we were sitting in his living room. His power had got shut off. It was the middle of winter. It was him and his dogs, and he invited me over. Um, and when I got there, we were sitting there in front of the fireplace. The fireplace going. I know this sounds a little crazy. And I asked him, I said, gee, you know, you want to just get the dogs and come back to my house with me? And he was like, No. He goes, you know, I'm hopeful that by the morning they're gonna resolve the issue and, and everything's gonna be okay. And he said, I got to this point living on my faith and my hope that tomorrow's gonna to be better than today, Why I give up tonight because I face adversity. And and that 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 C minute to me. Uh, him in my, I call it my 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 personal hall, faith hall of fame. He he is cemented in there permanently because of that, and you likened unto him is it's it's almost the same. So it's wonderful to be business partners with somebody who's so, uh, as you said, I love that term relentlessly optimistic. I love it. I love it.
1: Great. All right. So, so again, th- that question came from uh, what are called We Connect cards. You can find out more about We Connect at WeAnd.me. So that that is the website WeAnd.me. Uh, we'll link it up in the notes underneath our episode to make sure you can see it. But uh, it's been super helpful. We've used it probably four or five times with teachers, and and every time it's gotten a really good response and really good feedback. So. Moving into the next section, we, we decided that each podcast we would, we would do a book review or not necessarily a review, but just talk about one of the books that's really had an impact uh, on the two of us, making sure that at least for the first few, it's books that we both read. So we decided to go with a book that kind of really both of us tipped off and it's Start With Why by Simon Sinek. So I'll let you, I'll let you lead off with why we both really uh, feel strongly about this book.
0: Well, um, first, my introduction to Simon Sinek was um, was through his video. Um, I can't remember if it was a TED
1: Talk. TED Talk. It's one of the it's one of the four or five most viewed TED Talks of all time.
0: And and what struck me is that when he talked about the the uh, the golden circle and how. It, even though he he is a business-minded individual the concept that he that he's introducing is almost really anti-business because we don't see that type of of commitment in in real business um but when he talked about um I believe the, the, the first time I saw it was a little they did an excerpt of um of that, that talk where he talked about Martin Luther King. When he talks about, I didn't have, Martin Luther King didn't create a, I have a, I have a plan speech. His speech was, I have a dream. Which outlined why he was doing it, because of the dream. And when he talks about how, if you don't know what you're starting with, you know, you have your what. You have your how, but when you get to the, the to the why, the why is what pushes you, and you and I talk about it all the time, especially as it relates to me and my, my challenges with physical fitness. I'm getting there, bro. Trust me. I know. It, I
1: see you. I'm putting it,
0: and I keep putting it out, and I keep talking about it to everybody because I want to make sure it's not a secret, that, that this is something that I'm genuinely dealing with and trying to better myself in. And as I'm sitting here at my daughter's desk, y'all can't see it, but I'm looking at a picture from her when she was about 18 months old. And, you know, that's my why. That's my why.
1: <laughs> I can't you know, believe she's 11 now.
0: Oh, man, it's craziness. That's my why. You know, when I look at her, I I, I say, why do we do LED in my eyes? is because I know she deserves a teacher in every one of her classroom who's going to nurture her and create that type of thinker in her. And I know a lot of what I do and how I deal with students and how I deal with with adults is because of Simon Sinek's book. I want everybody to discover what's the fuel, what's the why that's fueling your passion. Because you can't get it any other way unless you have an established why.
1: Yeah. You know, the thing I really like about the book is how he levels so many comparisons to, to companies or individuals that have their why at the core uh, oh, versus yeah. ones that don't, you know, like even just he, he gives an example of how, you know, Microsoft, IBM or those other computer companies market their computers compared to how Apple markets their products. Like Apple gets to the heart of why you want to use their product they know their products are more expensive they know that their products don't necessarily always work better than the alternative but they've created such a a brand around it that people want to have that because it's more of a reflection of who they who the who the consumer is rather than the company they they want to have an apple product because of what they believe it says about themselves and my my favorite story on your point is when they um compare the the Wright brothers mm. to uh, the other group of people I can I can't think of the guy's name right now that were there were there were multiple groups trying to master man powered flight at that time mm-hmm. um, and there was a group that was like funded by the government they had all the tools they had all of the best you know professors and engineers from all over the country and the newspapers... The press- yeah, yeah, Prince was following them around. Press was following them everywhere. And the crew that the Wright brothers were with, no one had a college degree. They would take out four, or five, or six sets of spare parts every time because they knew that they would crash several times. And still they succeeded, you know, unbeknownst to anyone else. And the example Simon Sinek gets, and this is really what gets to the heart of the book is – if, if your why is strong, those other groups of people who were trying to master ma- man-powered flight, I, I wish I could remember the, uh, the uh, uh, Samuel Pierpont Langley, that's his name. So Langley's group, when they found out that the Wright brothers had done it, they quit. <laughs> so rather than taking all of their resources and everything they had and joining up with the Wright brothers and saying, hey, let's work together to really make this something that's viable they quit he was that guy was langley was in it just to be the first where the wright brothers and their crew were in it because it was their purpose it was what they were trying to achieve and the book is filled with so many so many stories uh and comparisons of people like that and you know just to wrap up with your your um martin luther king jr example you know, Martin Luther King Jr. didn't have Twitter. He didn't have Instagram. He didn't have Facebook. You know, there was really no publicity for his, you know, for the march and for his speech other than people word of mouth. So, and and I love that Simon Sinek talks about how, you know, like with Apple, those people didn't show up because of Martin Luther King Jr. They showed up because of who they wanted to be, you know, because they thought what that protest and the speeches and those marches were represented who they were.
0: Yeah. And I mean, but you know, Martin Luther King used the most powerful, powerful vehicle, which is, which is the human voice. And what we were just alluding to earlier, he used hope that I have a dream speech was a, was a message of hope. He set forth, he didn't set forth an agenda to say, this is how we're going to get there. He just said, Hey, you know, I know I'm not the only one who feels like this. So let me just say it. And even to think about the fact that that wasn't even his planned speech for that day, you know, he had written, you know, as a minister, um, you know, we, we know, um when you once you've spent time and you've written and you've scripted something out you want to go with what's there but sometimes the environment dictates that you deviate and that was a deviation that he made that made history um no other speech that Martin, uh, Martin Luther King has given gets as much um publicity as the I have a dream speech and it wasn't even what he scripted he you know Back then, the Baptist ministers, they would write everything down so that they would have a a a, a blueprint of what they're going to discuss that wasn't in his blueprint, but that was his why he was even doing it. So when someone mentioned and said, hey, tell them about your dream, Martin. Tell them about your dream. and And, and he, you know, I have a dream that one day my children will be judged by the content of their character, not the color of their skin. You know, and even as we think about it in education, it's almost, you know, I, I love the word renaissance. You, you know, we don't we want, we try to stay away from the word reform.
1: Yeah, we um, yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh but to have that type of rebirth, the revival, uh rejuvenation, it's almost as if we need that voice crying out in the wilderness so that teachers can know. There's hope, and I think that's what we want to do here at LED. Is that we want to give educators and administrators and leaders that sense of hope that, despite the headline, despite what you see every day, there's hope for 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 our, for our educational system. It's not in creating brand new tests. It's not in 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 making it more rigorous. You know, it's not making it relevant to the students from where they came from, it's by building relationships with those students and trusting that those students will then take that blueprint for building a relationship and apply it in every aspect of their life so that they can then, as we like to say, leverage that relationship for so much more in their future.
1: All right. Yeah, that's that's perfect. And that really leads us into to the main topic of of this podcast in terms of what we've been talking about and we from the beginning this podcast and and really everything we do at led is just the continuation of conversations we've been having now going on four years so uh we really just every week want to talk about you know what's on our mind and and the thing that's been on our mind most the last few weeks is is culture. Um, as we set up our Lighthouse Educator Academy, which is going to be our two year long program for new teachers uh, in mentoring, as we get set to try to find ourselves our own space, the, the, the idea and the concept of culture is is one that is at the heart of what we do, because the culture of education from our perspective like you were saying, it there's a lot of places where there doesn't seem like there's a lot of hope. Hmm. And there's, you know, it just shouldn't, it doesn't have to be that way for teachers. Um, but more importantly, we want to talk uh, today about the culture we create and how it impacts our students. So I'm, I'm going to let you lead this uh, this culture conversation out. Here.
0: All right. Um, you know, I, I, I go back to uh, the words of James Comer when he said that no significant learning can take place without a significant relationship, and I believe that relationship that he's referring to is directly represented. I mean, represented by the culture that those students come to come into. As as educators, at schools, we have no control over what our kids do from for 4 four thirty in the evening until eight o'clock that next morning when they come back to us we have no control over who says what what they said how they said it to them um, what they even believe what they trust who they trust we can't control any of that the one thing we can control is the sanctuary that they come into every morning and that's It's paramount that we as educators create such a culture, number one, that students want to come there. Number two, that the students feel like this is the place that I have to be at. I can be at. It's a safe place. And I think that we've gotten to the point to where a lot of times we've taken our hands off so much left it to the teachers to create it within their own classrooms. And there are some amazing teachers who you can walk into their rooms. You can see a group of kids with, with one teacher, and those kids are sitting down. They're engaged. They're, they're doing everything like they're supposed to. They leave, go to another teacher's room, and they're out of control. And people are saying this is the worst group of kids I've ever seen. Go to another teacher's room, and they're just perfect angels. So depending on the individual teacher and the culture they create in their classroom, that dictates what the kids give them. But it's only for that moment that they're in their room. Because if if it's going to be effective, then the culture on your campuses has to reflect that best teacher on your campus. And I know we don't like to compare teachers. We don't like to do these comparisons. But the reality of it is education is, is, is comparison. That's what we do all day long. We we develop these matrices, we develop all these these uh heat maps where we're comparing students in their proper demographic with their proper skill set group with their pro- within their you know social substandard subcategory. We're doing all this all the time. But yet still we don't look and say, okay, what is the best performing teacher doing on my campus? How are they able to get the kids that they have to do this? And how can I make this infectious across my old campus? And I think that as campus leaders, we have to get to the point of where it's that old that old comparison of are you a thermostat? Or are you a thermometer? As I'm sitting here, I'm looking right here. I, my wife and I invested into a nest um um uh, thermostat for our home. It's supposed to be a smart home system. We can adjust it from our phones, we can If I know I'm coming home and it's 100 degrees, I can turn the air on before I get here to cool down the house. It learns when we come home, when we're not. So it kind of picks up on our own vibe. But it's a thermostat. When the house gets to a temperature that's not recognized by the thermostat, the thermostat kicks in. And sets it to a certain spot and say, if I say I want the temperature to be between 70 and 75, then it'll stay between 70 and 75. That means if 76 happens, it doesn't just let it stay. No, it brings it back down to 75. If 65 happens, it's gonna bring it back up to 70 to make it a comfortable living zone for what I said it. Our schools have to stop being thermometers and just simply measuring what our kids are bringing us. Our campuses have to become thermostats to where the kids walk in, they know, hey, we're between 70 and 75 here 65 is no not acceptable 76 is not acceptable we have to stay between 70 and 75 and that's setting that culture
1: yeah and and you brought up a point as we were leading into this and and this was kind of a revelation for me and we were the context of the conversation was we were talking about when i first started at stellic and as i grew through that and and The thing we've talked a lot about, too, in this regard is that if you as a teacher are not creating your classroom culture, the students will do it for you. Absolutely. And that was where I was the thermometer. So however my students ran, that was how I ran. If they ran hot, I ran hot. If they Mm -hmm. ran cold, I ran cold. On the days where we were all on an even keel, it was great. But it really is is that knowing that the kids not only are going to create a culture if you don't let them, but they want to be a part of a culture. Our, our, our human <laughs> genetics, our human DNA, we're, we're a social we're a social right. animal. We're created to live and work in groups. And, and I'm re- actually rereading Simon Sneck's uh, other book, Leaders Eat Last. Where he talks a lot about you know the chemical responses our body has you know, and why we've become social animals and why we're the only animal species that has the ability to control their world, rather than being at the mercy of what the environment gives them, we have the ability to control our environments. And it, it was just that point of knowing that if I don't set this culture someone else will. And generally speaking, it's going to be the the kid who talks the loudest. <laughs> and the kid who talks the loudest is the one who wants the most attention. Absolutely. And when, and when they get that attention, and once they get a taste of it, they want more. And then now you're in a you're in a power struggle with this kid over the attention. And The thing I learned over this time, too, and and last year was the best year I had because I said, this is the culture I'm creating. Because this is the culture that I know I can back up with action. Because if if I don't do the things that I say I'm going to do or I don't do the things that my kids, I, I ask my kids to do then there's there's an element of uh, where it's not genuine to me. I'm not standing up for the culture. I'm not creating it. And, and that's where, you know, especially with our academy, we want to get to teachers to say, you got to know who you are. Because if you go to that great teacher, the, the best teacher on your campus, and you mimic exactly what they do if they've got 10 years of experience you can't mimic 10 you can't mimic 10 years of experience right right so you have to pick out and tease out the things that fit you and then say okay this is how I want to fit or this is how I would play that and it it makes me when you were talking about not comparing teachers it's it's that mentality that you know our system has that a teacher is just a teacher is just a teacher You know, there's really not a lot of, I'm with you on the fact that there should be a comparison of teachers and it shouldn't be something, oh, you're going to lose your job if you're not this, but we should really, it it comes back to what we were talking about with mentoring pairs or teaming or, or whatever you do on your campus to put the right people together.
0: Let's let let me let me put it. Let's put it in another perspective. You know I love analogies. If I'm if I'm if I'm growing vegetables, if I'm looking at everything that's going on, and I'm looking at, I have these different plants and these different. If I have the same plant in different buckets of soil, each one performing differently. One is high yield. One is low yield. One is no yield. They're all the same fruit or vegetable, the same plant. But I want to make sure that every one of them are high yield producers. Then what I'm going to do is I'm going to check the soil because I care for all three the same, but I'm going to check the soil and the pH balances of each one of those soils to make sure that they're the same. And when they're not, (laughs) watch this when i find discrepancies from what is my high yield my desired outcome i add to or take away from that particular pot in order for the the vegetable or the fruit that i'm planting to flourish the way the high yield is why and that's not so much comparing teachers to teachers it's comparing practices to practices and determining what is the best practices for my desired result? Yeah. My, like, as we always talk about, I like to talk about what's my end game. (laughs) If my end game as a farmer is to make sure I have high yield crops, you know, you want to make, get the highest yield in the smallest amount of space you possibly can, because that's going to ensure that you're going to continue to be able to do this. But if I'm, if I see that there's some that are struggling then I have to adjust the pH of that soil. And maybe I'll try repositioning, moving this one over here and say, maybe this one's just eating up too much light. And I'll move them around. But when you move a teacher, and I have a perfect example of this on my campus, from one environment to another, and the results are the same, that one, it should be your, that should be your benchmark to say, okay, what is it about this individual teacher that they can go from point A to point B to point C, and still get results in different soils. What is it about this one? You know, my buddy was telling me about cloning citrus plants because I want to put some oranges and lemons in my backyard. I was like, but I don't want to go from a lemon seed to a lemon tree because that's years before I'll get a result. He said, no, clip off a branch and clone it. Because that branch is part of a mature tree which will start to bear fruit the moment it takes root. So what are we doing in education to where we're not bearing fruit? What are we doing? We're not looking at... You know, while we were sitting there talking, I started looking up. I googled the top 100 companies to work for according to Fortune magazine. After my Google search pulled up the top 10. I found it interesting that for like the six year running, Google happens to be the number one company to work for in the world. Okay, why? Why? Culture. Culture. And I love this, This what they wrote in here. It says they have a rigorous analytical approach to morale with a full attention to the culture.
1: Yeah. And, and that's the thing, you know, you look at it and you see, you know, we were, I don't know if you've seen the movie, The Internship with. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and, and people assume that, oh, you, you put in bean bags and a juice bar and a coffee machine and you give people food for free. That's, that's not culture right that's that's you know because I can t-
0: I'll take your free food and go keep on being mean all day long
1: yeah but you know it, it's that that feeling and that understanding of of knowing I love what they said about being analytical about the culture you know one of the greatest or not one of the greatest but the, some of the numbers we really look at are you know, teacher turnover and teacher attendance. Like, you can tell a lot about a school or a city or a, or a district from their teacher turnover and their teacher attendance. Absolutely. And, you know, it's that same mentality that you were talking about earlier about culture with students. You mm-hmm. know, if, if, a kid, if you have a really great culture in your room or on your campus and a kid is borderline sick, and but they really want to go to school, they'll, they'll tough it out to go to school. Those kids are oh. resilient.
0: Oh, man. Can I just give you an example of that perfectly? I had a kid who we were having a test, and I remember this was about maybe about four years ago. She came to school. She was in my homeroom, and she was so sick. Her mom said, came with her and walked her to the door and said, she did not want to miss your presentations So she came in just for the presentation and then I'm going to take her to the doctor, but she would not let me schedule the doctor during your class time because it was so important for her to be here. Now here's the catch. This young lady was not even presenting that day, but because my culture said that as your, as your classmates are, are presenting You're taking notes on what they're doing so that you can ask questions at the end of everything. And that was part of their grade. That was part of their requirement. It was what the culture that I set forth about when people are doing things, we're going to provide feedback for them. That was our culture. She came in sick, face red, writing, taking notes, paying attention to everything, mustered through a 90-minute class. When her mom had to take her, She said, I think I can keep going. Her mom said, no, we have a doctor's appointment. Do you know the girl went to the doctor? She missed half of her next block. Came, I mean, the entire next block came back to school to finish out the day at school. Why? Because the teachers on that team created a culture that, not saying it's not okay to miss, not saying we're going to make you feel bad because you're absent. Not saying we're going to throw the sarcastic remarks about, oh, we had 35 people out yesterday or we, you know, we could have really used your help in pitching in. Not anything like that, but we created a culture, a learning environment that students wanted to be a part of. And I think that is the winning formula for if you look at successful teachers. And I, I would be curious to see, let's look at an attendance analysis between those teachers who make it, where, you know, those those A1 balanced teachers versus the teachers who are kind of mud-fuddling through what they're doing. And let's look at the attendance rankings in those classrooms. Let's see if the kids want to be there. We know by the Gallup poll, the Gallup poll says that three-fourths of our kids graduate feeling like... No teacher ever really cared about them. Now think about it. 75%. That's three out of every four students that's on our campuses across America right now feel like my teachers don't care about me. That's enough to make any sane person want to weep and cry and ache in their spirit. Because of that you have students who are coming to a place whose purpose is to nurture, nurture them, but they feel like I'm not getting that. I get taught content, though. But I, I don't remember the content from year to year because the teacher's never related to me. So I only remember it as long as I can regurgitate it. You know, if I eat something bad, my body's natural reaction is to regurgitate it, to get it out of my system. Once it's out of my system, it's not there anymore. That's not a culture of producing regurgitators. The culture is when you can teach kids who can problem solve, who can think beyond what you give them.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, and and to try to, you know, wrap it up and put a bow on it here, it, it comes to that point of, you know, the example you gave of that student who came in sick. If you don't have a genuine... Relationship with that student, and they don't have a relationship with their their classmates, because part of that is the accountability—not just they have to you, but the accountability they have to their classmates to really want to support them and, and do those things. It, it comes to that that base part of what we do is is that relationship piece, right? It's it's that it's that un, it, it comes back to that universal skill of can you build a relationship because. To have buy-in like that, to have a student so committed to you and your class and, and to what you represent and what you stand for, you have to have a culture and you have to have a real relationship. Like, and relate, culture does not mean environment. Right. Because as we know as human beings, we can adapt to our environment Or we can control our environment. Right. And, you know, kids will adapt to an environment. If it's an environment of content, 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 they will adapt. They will take in what they need. They will regurgitate it as as necessary. But once they are out of that environment, all of that will be behind them. It'll go away. Absolutely. And when you have a culture when you have people who buy in because your actions match what the, the, the intention and the culture you set. I mean, and, and the next one leading into this will probably go into the need for intentional culture because that will probably take us another similar amount of time to really dive into what it means to be intentional hmm. uh, versus, you know, reactionary or the other options. Um, A reaction is
0: react to, to most people Reaction is better. Because then I don't have to give a whole lot of planning to it. I just react.
1: You know what else? Just react. You know what reacts to temperature? A thermometer. A thermometer. hmm Yeah.
0: Whereas a thermostat reacts also. But a thermostat reacts based on the standards that's set. And it makes adjustments to keep the culture the way it's supposed to be.
1: Yeah. and My climate
0: right now in my house. If I wave my hand in front of my nest, it'll click on, and it clicks on, and it tells me that the reason that there's no heat or no air blowing is because it is 74 degrees in here right now, and it's set between 71 and 75. So at 74 degrees, there's nothing to do because the culture is what it is. It is what it is, and it's going to stay there until something as the sun comes up now it gets hotter it goes above 75 it kicks in not to make it cold but to make it come to 75 and then it'll shut off
1: yeah i mean and that's that's exactly it all right so closing up leave them with one thing um
0: man it's been a lot um I guess it would be the, the idea behind saying, if if to be proactive with with setting the, and establishing your your culture for your classroom. Um, that's to my teachers, to school leaders. Be very proactive and very vigilant of what your culture on your campuses is, and in doing that. Make sure you set a culture that's based off of an, an, an accepted standard of best practices. And don't just go with the flow. Uh, being like, as you said before, be very intentional about what you're going to do. Set the parameters. Set the boundaries. And the people will fit from within, will work within. But that, that, that's paramount in, you know, do research on what are best practices. You know, always said that research and education are almost against each other because education wants to fast, quick. Research says we're going to look at this from a from a from a theoretical standpoint to bring it to the real. And that takes time. Education says we don't have time. So it's like one of those situations where it's like if you're going to get anything right on your campus. Get your culture right. If your learning is not not happening. I guarantee you, it's more of a problem of the culture than it is the content that's being taught.
1: I love it. We are we're gonna close up shop right there. Uh, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. If you want to support us, the best way you can do that right now is to share this on your Facebook, on your Twitter, on your Instagram. Share it with teachers you know, and go to Facebook.com slash lighthouse educator development and give us a like you can send us messages you can connect with us there all our information is there so uh next time we'll come back we'll talk a little more about intentional cultures but until then this is kyle and wilkie out